morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us, those of you that are here in person and those watching online. Uh, today is the second day of an, the second National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And so we are remembering and honoring uh, those, the survivors of the residential school system in Canada. And we're wearing our orange shirts that say every child matters to uh, remind ourselves that no matter the language, the culture, the faith, all of those things are um, protected and we care about people no matter where they're from. I would like to acknowledge, as we begin, that White Rock Baptist Church, where we gather to worship and study the scriptures, is on the shared, unceded traditional territory of the Katsi, Semiamu, Kwantlen, and other Coast Salish peoples. The live stream that is put together today is through Canadian Baptist Ministries, and it has just begun, so we are going to switch over to that broadcast now. Thank you. And my teachings have come from the Cree people. So we have different medicines that we use, and we try to use everything as natural as possible. That's why I have wooden matches. Never use a, a lighter. And we remove our jewelry and our glasses when we smudge to come to Creator, just as we are, in a simple way. I smudge my hands, and I ask Creator to help my hands do what He wants my hands to do today. I smudge my head, and I ask Creator that my thoughts will be as He wants my thoughts to be. I smudge my eyes and I ask Creator to help me see what it is He wants me to see today. And I smudge my mouth and I ask Creator that the words that come from my mouth will be the words that He wants me to speak. And I smudge my ears and I ask Creator to help me listen to and to hear what He wants me to listen to and hear today. And I thank you, Creator, for all the gifts you give us. I thank you for how you are always with us, walking with us all the way, opening and closing doors that you know are the best ones for us. Creator, I ask that you will bless this circle today and be with all of these young people, all of the people that are here, and that we will have open hearts and open minds. Thank you, Creator, for all things. Hi, hi. Okay, so now I will bring the smudge pot around. I will uh, let you. I just want to say that uh, I'm, a, I'm a residential school survivor and I'm also a 60 school survivor. And I know about the intergenerational impacts of residential schools. And that's what this day is about why we wear yellow shirts or orange shirts, I should say. Some look a little yellow. And um, uh, I've been doing this. Uh, sharing for quite a while. If there's anybody that uh, has more questions, we won't be having time, I guess, because you have to go on your journeys um, today. But if you ever have any questions, please feel free to come and we'll sit and talk and I'll answer your questions as best as I can. I did a um, teaching to 1,000 kids yesterday and uh, they were amazing from kindergarten to grade nine. And the questions they asked were just amazing. So uh, I want to just close in prayer and thank you for coming to this circle and um, pray for a safe day for you. Creator, we thank you for our sharing circles. We thank you that we can pray to you wherever we are and whoever we are. 
We ask that you go with us this day, and we ask that you keep us safe, each one of us safe. Thank you for all things created. Hi, hi. We acknowledge these lands, not to tick off a box, but to remind ourselves of our reliance upon these lands and our Creator, and to learn from the history of these places and allow it to shape our self-understanding and our way of living with each other. You will find full land acknowledgements from each of the regions involved today in this service on the homepage at cbmin.org slash national day. They came on the river by dog sled. The RCMP took three little girls, never to see their family again. My name is Holly Forche. I teach Indigenous awareness to government, schools, corporations, police departments, and other agencies. I'm on my way to Fort Mackay First Nation in Northern Alberta to visit my mother. Her name is Lena Gallup. She was one of those three little girls. Mom was taken when she was six years old and spent the next 13 years in an Indian residential school. The memories still haunt her, but I'm encouraging her now to share her story with others. Good to see you. Come on in. Gurard Indian Residential School was like a prison. It was a horrendous experience. I always wanted to tell people about it because I wanted them to have an understanding of us. And I remember when I was a little girl in school, I would tell people about it and they thought I was lying. You know, so my entire life, there's been this thing looming over us about the legacy of residential school. And I know that everything you went through and just even this conversation is so hard because it makes me so sad that you went through all that, Mom. Lena wasn't alone. 150,000 children across Canada were ripped away from their families. The United Nations has called it a cultural genocide. Most people think it's ancient history. It's not. The last Indian residential school didn't close until 1996. Because I can remember um, living here in Fort Mackay, uh, mostly with my grand grandmother. We were loved. 
and we lived up mostly off the land and the RCMP came and uh, took the three of us away by dog team. They took all our clothes and uh, they put us in a, in a tub with hot water and they put three of us in there. And we didn't know what was happening. You know, these, these women had black robes on. My thinking right away was, you know, these people are going to boil us, you know. So we were all frightened, all crying. And they kept pushing us back into the tub every time we tried to, you know, try to get out. Just going there and experiencing all that neglect and abuse, poor living conditions, poor diet, poor treatment, and it just makes me sad. It was a big dorm. We had um, uh, little white beds, uh, row by row. I would say about maybe about 55 or 60 of us in a dormitory. And my little sister was one end of the dormitory and I was at the other end. We didn't know where we were. They cut our hair, just chopped our hair off below your ear, like straight on. It's like uh, putting a bowl on your head and cutting all around. We were so controlled like giving us, uh, you know, different kind of clothes to wear, you know, some kind of a clothing that um, felt very uncomfortable. The government thought that they should do this policy where they take Indian children for over a century where they take them to take the Indian out of the child. That was a policy. We were taught, you know, that uh, we're savages and we were always wrong, we were sinful and so on. And so we had a lot of guilt as well. If you didn't do something right, you know, we would be punished and in so many ways, uh, you know. days of the program, one in two children died. If you were a soldier in World War I, running into machine gun fire, you had a better chance of surviving that than you did as a child in Indian residential school. We didn't know how to speak English. We uh, never heard it spoken before. There was severe punishment for uh, if you were caught, you know, speaking uh, your own language. And uh, like they would wash our mouth with soap. And so it, it, it took a long time before we were able to speak, even to each other. They had a strap, and at the end of the strap was uh, some kind of nails. They would just strap at the end of our fingers. So where you all your feelings are, you know, your fingers and, and, you know, you weren't allowed to cry out. We had to sleep with, you know, on the right side of the bed, on 
and uh, with our hands under our, our pillow or under our head. I remember one time, you know, I had fallen asleep and uh, I woke up when the nun came and slapped me and told me to get onto my side. It was a rude awakening, I might say. We were scared from everything. We cried. Um, but it was my little sister who cried, cried the most. And I couldn't go to her. I wouldn't be allowed. It just broke my heart. There was other things too I just want to talk, don't want to talk about. It's very painful for me to talk about it. I've told Holly about it. Maybe she can talk about it for, for me sometime. When Lena turned 18, she was given a one-way bus ticket to Edmonton, dropped off on a street, totally unprepared. She had never been to a city in her life. She has no money, no skills, no education, no job, no self-esteem. A lot of the girls that uh, came out before me went into prostitution. Uh, a lot of, uh, there were suicides. About 85% of the girls that I went to uh, school was that came out to the streets of Edmonton died. When I first came back, uh, it was 20 or some years after that I had left here when I was so small. There was just a handful of people that were left uh -huh. that remembered me. One of my aunts told me, when you left, Narcy and he took you away from here years ago. She said, we all cried. And she kind of showed me where my mom know where my mom was, uh -huh. in that corner somewhere, and my granny. All my family and my ancestors are here. And that's why I come here. I can't imagine someone coming into my home and taking my kids. Like, I just can't imagine those left behind. For the longest time, I feared God. It's only when I got out of there that I realized, you know, that God is love. I think I've been very, very blessed in my life. Now that I'm 87, you can, you know, thank the Creator of what I have accomplished and how my life has been. 
you know, after residential school, you know, where your chances sometimes were, didn't have a hope in hell, really, mm -hmm. you know. I survived residential school. I survived TB. I survived cancer. And now I'm working so hard to survive Fort Mackay. And I'm going to make it, okay? <laughs> Mom eventually married, had four children, and was active in Indigenous causes through the rest of her life. She helped more than 2,000 Indigenous kids in a group home that she owned and operated for 20 years. She did the opposite of Indian residential schools. Rather than take the cultural way, she worked to put it back in. I'm optimistic. You know, my mom is resilient. She's determined, she's feisty. For Lena's generation, it was a journey to reconnect to her culture, teaching young people the traditions. Lena survived, but not without scars. Our older generations, I feel, still carry the wounds of the legacy of Indian Residential School. But I think those next generations are the change. And I will share your story, Mom. Mm -hmm. You're heard now. We have a voice now. breath and the power of the Holy Spirit. Breathe on us, breath of God. Join our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our bodies in unity with God, the Holy Spirit. Before we continue on in our service today, I want to invite us to take a quiet moment of reflection, a moment to repent, to lament, and to cleanse our hearts before God in the same way that Anne began our service, with a cleansing prayer with smoke. Let us take a moment to center ourselves on God's holiness and invite his transforming presence to dwell within us. Let's take a moment. Be present with us, Lord. We come carrying the concerns of our daily lives. We come holding our sorrow. We come holding shame. We come sharing the grief and wounds of others. We come asking that you meet us here in our brokenness. We come to lament the ways in which we have failed. 
We come to confess our shortcomings and our missteps. We come seeking you. Stay with us, Lord. Guide us continually as we begin to open ourselves to listen and lament. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers.
we want to invite you to 215 seconds of silence. Why 215? Because this was the number that in May of 2021 woke many of us in this country up to a heartbreaking reality that Indigenous peoples had been telling us for many years. That specific number of children's graves at the site of the former Kamloops Residential School was large enough to break our hearts, but small enough for us to comprehend and specific enough for us to rally around. In the intervening months, more sites have been inspected. More graves have been and will continue to be recovered. Our hearts can scarcely take in these numbers, 215 plus 35 plus 94 plus 160 plus 751 and on. So we stop and we take these 215 seconds to be silent and to pray, to remember, to acknowledge, to mourn, to weep, and to lament. We will enter into these 215 seconds of silence. The screen will go dark uh, and then Cheryl Bear will bring us back with a drum song and that will be your signal that we are uh, coming back uh, together after that time. Let's observe this time together. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But, but let, let justice, justice roll on like a river, 
righteousness like an ever-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings, forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You have lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is God Almighty. Brothers and sisters, thank you for joining with us today on this second annual day for Truth and Reconciliation. For those of you for whom this is your first TRC day, it's a day to remember, to reflect, and indeed to join in lament, as we have been doing. Lament for children lost, for communities destroyed, for lands stolen, for acts of cultural genocide. Lament that discrimination was, and in some cases still is, national policy in our country. Now if we take the book of Psalms and we assume that it's a blueprint for the spiritual life of a worshiping community, then something surprising emerges because the Psalms are not all tambourines and hosannas. It's simply not just praise. It's also protest. It's questioning. And a large majority of it is lament. There are many more Psalms of lament than any other type of Psalm. This suggests to me that perhaps we should be spending more time corporately in acts of lament than we normally do. Paul tells us in Romans to weep with those who weep. And the Psalms give us language for lament. It gives us permission for lament to be part of our corporate communion with the Creator. As Philip Yancey said, the Psalms are spirituality in every key. The Psalms help us understand that God wants our fellowship with him and with one another to encompass all the realities of life, the highs and the lows. You see, lament is not about feeling bad, or it's not just about making others feel bad. It's instead joining our voices, joining our hearts and our minds with fellow pilgrims in life's journey who are suffering. It's God's encouragement to flex our empathy muscles. As is so often the case, God's instructions really can be boiled down to the golden rule to treat others how you want to be treated. The flexing of our empathy muscles is hard to do. In fact, I would say that in our modern world of endless news cycles filled with bad news, the practice of empathy is a spiritual practice that the church needs to be intentionally nurturing in our modern world. Think about it. Think about the shock we all felt last year at the finding of the 215 unmarked graves in Kamloops. But many more graves have been found since then. Our shock has lessened. And the news has covered these findings less and less. This annual day in our new national rhythm encourages us, at least once a year, to sit with the reality. As of May 24, 2022, the register has 4,130 confirmed names of children who died while at residential schools. And these are just the confirmed names. There are many more in the unmarked graves, as well as the graves that have not yet been found. Names will likely not be connected with remains. This knowledge sits with the Creator. But if we take just the confirmed names, and if we had decided to be silent for just one second for each child as we've been together, our moment of silence earlier today would have been over an hour long. So let's reflect on truth and reconciliation. 
truth and reconciliation. Truth before reconciliation. Yes, I've heard that before, you say. Well, let's hear it again because repetition is good. It makes the heart ponder. You see, we're joining in this service of reflection and remembrance and lament because of the truth of how Canada has treated the indigenous peoples of these lands, my people. This type of truth truly is cause for lament. We as a country have genocidal skeletons in our closet. The ethos of this country for many, many years was such that discrimination, land theft, and the intentional removal of children from their families for the express purpose of killing the Indian and the child was seen as good. As good. We have to sit with this truth if we have any hope of altering course that evil was seen as good. These evils were perpetrated by those who called themselves Christian. I add this to our lament today, that evil was done in the name of the Christ, my Savior. I am and I will be continued to be shocked by the hypocrisy of that. Now all or almost all of you on this call today are from our Baptist family across our nation. So let's go back one more time to those words, truth and reconciliation, because today I want us as a Baptist family to think upon the reality that we need to reconcile with the truth. Now fellow Baptists, hear me, because our reconciliation with the truth needs to continue. Not only do we need to acknowledge our shared reality, that we are part of the systems of oppression as a nation, we've benefited from the injustices against the indigenous peoples, but we also need to reconcile with the fact that we did play a part. We played a part. There was a Baptist residential school in Whitehorse. And here's a little recap for those of you for whom this is new news. The church out of which the Whitehorse Residential School is run, as of right now, is owned by the Fellowship Baptist. It sits outside of our particular Baptist family. But the school ran from 1947 to 1962, and the Fellowship Baptists did not exist in that territory until 1965, and here's where it gets a little tricky. We know who started the school, and it was for many years connected with the American Baptists out of Seattle, the Baptist Evangelization Society, but there are still things that are unclear, and it's this lack of clarity that I'm calling us as a Baptist family to get clear on. When did our convention cut ties with the Baptist Evangelization Society? And secondly, was there ever a legal tie between our convention and that American group? Now, I want to be clear. Early in the process of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, our convention showed that we were not legally responsible. Though today, we do lack clarity in exactly how this was proven. But my concern is this. The legal system of the colonial government of Canada is not the one to whom we are ultimately responsible. We need to be entirely truthful. I'm not content to let sleeping dogs lie, and I'm troubled if our primary goal is just to make sure we dodged a financial and legal bullet. What about our moral and ethical obligations before the Creator? I remind you of the words I shared last year from theologian Chris Green. The future is nothing but what we tell or don't tell about the past, and the future will be as good as the telling of our past is truthful. A survivor of the Whitehorse Baptist Residential School has said, and I quote, 
All these denominations have made a case as to why they aren't responsible for the Whitehorse School. But without someone who takes responsibility, there's no one with whom to reconcile. If we can't be reconciled, how will we heal? And if we who went to the school are not able to heal, how can we pass on healing to our children? End quote. I want this healing for the survivor and for the other survivors and their families and communities. And I want this truth telling for us too. To whatever measure we played a part, we must take responsibility. You see, the CBM, Canadian Baptist Ministries, under the leadership of Terry Smith a number of years ago, gave a beautiful apology, which I was and am proud to align with. A resolution including that apology was endorsed over here on the East Coast. The three bodies of our collective have all done good work in different ways to walk the path of reconciliation. But we've learned more since then. And there are still things that need to come to light. There is yet truth to be found. Truth to be reconciled with. So if we want to do something as a denomination, this is something we can and should do. If we do not, I'm afraid that the same accusation of hypocrisy will also fall to us. I'm challenging us as a collective to get full clarity on all of this, not so that we know where the blame should lie, but so that we can aid in the healing of the survivors of that school and walk the path of reconciliation with integrity. I give my thanks to those for whom this research has been ongoing, particularly Jody Sparger. And as I trust that as we bring clarity to all of this and fully own up to our part, this truth will be reflected in how we speak and how we write about it, that we will clarify past statements and walk forward in a good way. So let's circle back to lament. There's something in our Psalms of lament that's fairly consistent. It's something that reminds us that as we lament, we do so with God and indeed alongside all of creation. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8 talks about the groaning of creation towards redemption, that final reconciliation of all things to our God. And we as children of God in Romans 8, we also groan as we await final redemption. And then finally in that same chapter, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit himself also joins in these groans. The language of groaning is the language of lament. And I trust in the portrait that the scripture has laid out for us. That when we lament, we are joining ourselves to communities that weep, and that God himself will join with us. Furthermore, both Romans 8 and the Psalms of lament remind us, like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we don't grieve as ones with have no hope. The Psalms of lament always look towards the sunrise, even if there's only a small glimpse. The groaning in Romans 8 looks towards the ultimate redemption of the entire community of creation. This is a servants of remembrance and lament, but it's lament God's way. We don't shy away from the shock and the sadness. We won't forsake the somber moments because they're uncomfortable. And we'll choose to rehearse and remind ourselves of these truths of our collective past, even as we continue to learn more. And we will do so because we do it as ones who have hope. We hope in God as our Redeemer. We hope in God as the one who comforts the afflicted. We hope in a God who forgives us as we forgive others, 
even when the others are ourselves and our predecessors. And we hope because as we take time to be confronted by truth, we enter into solidarity with a proud and resilient peoples, the host nations of this vast and beautiful country that we now, now call Canada. We rejoice in their pride, even though their lands were taken, their children stolen, and their cultures brought to the breaking point. We celebrate the resurgence of cultural reclamation and the increase of the indigenous population. I'm hopeful because the educational system, at least in my province, introduces students to the local indigenous peoples and their history early on. I'm hopeful because my children in high school all had the option to take indigenous studies as a course. The ethos of this country that enabled and empowered the residential schools is slowly being dismantled and rebuilt into something more beautiful. The younger generations not satisfied with resource extraction, unjust laws, unjust practices to make the rich richer, almost always at the expense of the poor and the marginalized and the theft of indigenous land. I want to be faithful. I want us to be faithful. Theologian James Calvin Davis says, quote, to be faithful describes the character of our relationships, not the specific content of our creed." End quote. So let us be found faithful in our relationships, our relationship to our collective past, our relationship with the White Horse Residential School, and our relationship with the local Indigenous peoples. Lord, our hope is in you. Lord, find us faithful. Romans 5, 6-11 You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, 
though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. As a people who work, play, live on this land, 
we recognize the privilege we have when we enter and leave community spaces. Places of work, churches, homes, grocery stores, restaurants, and theaters, countrysides, beaches, parks, and farms are not only opportunities to remember our First Nations community. It is also a reminder that the reconciliation God brings is to be given to all we encounter. As we go from place to place, may the words of Micah the prophet remind us of our calling. Go into the land, love God, and love others. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly.